0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. My name is Nathan Doyle, and I'm here with your regular host, Matthew Winkelstein. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. How are you doing, Nathan? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, Today, we wanted to take a a step out of our normal, regularly scheduled podcast routine uh, just to dive in a little bit more into the why behind what we're doing, what we're doing here at the Buyer's Market, who we're trying to talk to, what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, Matt, I know you and I have talked a lot over the past the past six months really about what we saw this show becoming uh, but I want to take some time just sit down and say uh, let people kind of know where we're going let people know what this started as um, and where we're trying to go with it so I'll pass it to you kind of let you run with that for a minute
1: yeah I appreciate that and uh, I appreciate everyone who's been tuning in uh, we've had some good viewers and had some good comments and we appreciate everyone that takes the time to listen to a clip or takes the time to listen to the actual episode It's really appreciated. We hope we're adding value to you. That's what we're trying to do here. So when Nathan and I first started talking about launching a podcast, it wasn't really talking about launching a podcast. We were talking about things that we were seeing in the marketplace in our experiences. And we really boil it down to one main thesis, and that's the way that buyers inform and make their buying decisions has changed. And so we'll get into the reasons why we think that is. But along those lines, that's what we want to set out to either prove or disprove. We don't actually know if we're right. We thought we were right, but we need to talk to people to figure it out. And so when we first started discussing that, it's like, let's interview some people in supply chain. Let's focus on the buyers that are making these decisions in the supply chain space. And let's just have conversations with them and see if their buying behaviors have changed. And, well, this is our 10th episode, and I would say through 10 episodes, we've heard pretty consistently that... People inform more of their decisions online. Um, People are working remote. These different things that we'll get into here more in a minute, but I view validated for a large portion of people that those buying decisions have changed. But as everyone who's listening to this knows, that's only one part of the buying team. And in our space, most people are on buying teams. It's not one individual that's making these decisions. And so all of our interviews have really been around supply chain folks. And so we want to take a step back these next couple weeks and try and build out a little bit of a different roster on a go forward basis. So we're going to continue to interview some supply chain folks. They've been great and we appreciate everyone that's taken the time to come on the podcast. We also want to start to interview some people that are on the P&L side. What are some of the people that are running these capital projects thinking? What are they looking at? What are the engineering managers in some of these larger utilities or some of these larger companies? When they're going out and looking for these services, what are they looking at? What are they thinking? And through those two other people that are sitting there at the buyer's, buyers table, we think we'll be able to get more information and provide more value to our audience and also see... Have their buying behaviors changed? Is it just the supply chain side or has the execution side changed as well? And lastly, we're also going to start to talk to some people that are outside of this space. So I personally like to benchmark outside of architectural engineering construction because it gives me new ideas. It lets me it lets me see what other more digitally advanced industries are doing. And I found that very valuable. And so we're gonna take some time and also interview some people on the technology side. We're gonna interview some technology vendors and we're also gonna interview folks that are in more technologically advanced areas so we can identify the way they're acquiring customers.
0: So Matt, one of the things I really, really love about what we're trying to do here is that kind of fact finding experience of it all. Um, before I got into the marketing side, I was on the, a, a journalist for a good seven years, and the opportunity to just sit down and talk to people and to just understand their motivations and their ideologies and their beliefs and their needs and their pain points has been something that I found really, really beneficial to my career as a marketer moving forward, um, kind of designing with the end in mind, designing with the experience in mind, designing with those pain points in mind, um, and I think that's really something that we're trying to like lean into with this podcast. Is really kind of okay. Let's go straight to the field and understand what some of those pain points and experiences are. Understand um, why people are buying the way that they are and what those motivations are. Not based on our own ideation or our assumptions, but by getting our hands dirty and just finding the right people to dive into and, and learn from.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, and, and we hope that people gain those insights as well. I know um, we would be talking to different people if we were trying to talk to our customers. We're trying to talk to our customers customers. That way we can provide those insights and, We're trying to shortcut the the long efforts that Nathan and I go through to try and perform this research and all the people we talk to by distilling it down to a couple people. And to your point about you know we don't make assumptions and and we try and learn. I think that's been proven through the public space. So it's been pretty apparent through the uh, through our folks friends at Smud that they don't rely as much on looking at the internet to find these type of vendors. They have a different process. They have to follow that process. And so your outreach to them is probably going to be different and not going to be necessarily the same thing that we're talking about in these other areas. Not that I don't think digital marketing would work. It's just got to be different. And that was also validated a little bit in the um, university space by Doug. He said it was important to find them, but when it came down to evaluation, he wasn't really sure it mattered. I would have thought it mattered a little bit more, but we're going to listen to the people that are making these decisions, right?
0: (laughs) Well, I think that that ties in really nicely to... of just marketing 101 of there's no silver bullet solution for anything whether you're in construction or in digital marketing like there's no one size fits all strategy that's going to work for every single individual that you're trying to sell into or every project you're trying to tackle Uh, and so you have to do that research and do that homework to understand what that customer's experience is like and cater accordingly
1: yeah and you brought up a great point there about um it's. I don't remember your exact words, but I'll paraphrase as you know. There's no silver bullet. There's no. This thing doesn't happen miraculously. It's about the hard work, and digital marketing is no different. There are a lot of people out there that talk about the technology. They talk about the targeting. That stuff's important, but the but it only is successful if you put the real effort into it and you do it time after time. You don't go to the gym and lift weights one time and have huge biceps. But if you go every week for the year, at the end of the year, you know you're going to have more defined arms. And this situation is is a lot the same. It's about doing the research up front. It's about being consistent. It's showing up consistently and it's getting over that hurdle of, is this working or not?
0: Hmm. And so I wanna wanna kind of spin off of that a little bit. so with the idea that you're kind of creating to the needs of the audience that you're trying to to build for it. Um, part of what kind of brought us into this conversation you alluded to earlier was that that transition into people are buying on their terms, this this transition of the market from a reactive one where people come in and try to sell you while you're in your office and you kind of exist in that space to one where people can actually buyers can be a little bit more proactive and have the control all of a sudden because of X, Y and Z. Um, what changed in that time frame and kind of what power are, are we trying to lean into those
1: changes? Yeah, um, I, I'd say we've identified five five main points of why we believe that by the way people inform and make their buying decisions has changed. The first one is people are consumers as well. They're not just B2B buyers, they're consumers, they buy products. And so people are accustomed to buying products a certain way. They're used to access to information when and where they want it. They're used to being able to validate whether this is a good company through third party sources. They're used to being able to get all this information, whether it's through a person, or whether it's through the internet or through whatever the channel it is you want to talk about, but they're used to being able to inform themselves to a certain degree. And so when those same consumers come to work, do you think that they they just take that hat off and they think, oh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and buy less efficiently today? Or the reality is some of that behavior starts to carry over and people become frustrated when that information isn't available in a way that they're used to it. And that's why you've seen technology drive all these industries and it just continues to go through the legacy industry because You, people are used to it. And once people become used to a more efficient, better way, why would they want to go back?
0: Yeah, there's this, I think the the mistake that we tend to make is like, because the business has to go through procurement or because it's a a larger scale deal or whatever those reasons are, like you, you tend to forget that like, it's still, the same people there's still the same habits there's still the same efficiencies of jumping online and looking at customer reviews jumping online and looking at how the, the organization presents themselves jumping online and trying to understand what the the marketplace looks like and what the different competitors are like if you if you want to learn about a variety of different industrial coatings manufacturers you can jump online and you can look up seven in a snap it doesn't take anything at all whereas 15, 20, 30 years ago was a much different
1: conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that you weren't going to the yellow pages in this industry. And so you were a little bit insulated from that that type of thing. It was the ground and pound game. You hire as many BD people as you can. And um, like I talk about BD people definitely still have their place. It's not like BD people aren't important, um, but we've heard from multiple buyers that they're informing their buying decision. They're making these at least initial impressions way earlier than when you're to the bid stage. And anyone, I think everyone that'll listen to this will agree if the first time that a customer understands what your value proposition is during the RFP stage, It's not a good place to be in and there's probably someone that's there that even if they don't have a literal leg up on you that customer at least knows more about them they've started to cultivate trust and i would say at best they're starting to think of the things that that vendor is saying the way that they're saying it and they're going to ultimately judge you off them not judge you based off nothing because they have stuff out there to look at
0: yeah it's it's your opportunity to define the conversation before you even get to the table yeah Uh, I, I think you you brought up the the role of BD in this process, and I think that's a it's a really interesting balance between like the old school and the new school, and something that I think we're going to continue to lean into a little bit more in that exploration of kind of the people business side of these industries, and kind of reconciling that networking experience and that that it's not what you know, it's who you know sort of thing with the the content driven digital awareness side and kind of how those two things meet together um, in a way that that really drives brand preference and that really gives sales teams a ton of credibility when they step in the door. Um, and I'm excited to see how those things continue to develop. And as we especially as we talk to more uh, folks on the P&L side.
1: Yeah, I'm I, I'm interested to hear from some of them, too. We. Uh... We're trying really hard at buyer's market to get some good interviewees. That's what we've been doing here for the last week and a half and we're going to continue to do it. Um, and so I'm really excited uh, to hear from some of the people that we've been talking to and understand like, how does how does this affect them? How What is their world like? Do they, um, do they have time to meet with multiple vendors in a week? Do they have time to meet with them in a day? Um, are they informing their decisions at off hours of the night? These are things we think are true, but I'll be really interested to hear how that is. And um, to your point about the BD dynamic, uh, and the trust dynamic, I I still think those things are as, are as important as ever. Um, I just question the route to how how in which you get there. Like mm-hmm. I I think that it's not it's not either or. It's both and. Right. I think that the the time um the time that bd interjects is what's really changing so before it used to be very much in the beginning they're feeding the customer the information now uh i I think that's shifted a little bit further down the line where the customer is coming to you with a lot more information and so they're trying to evaluate you as a person are you really their advocate are you going to be their advocate inside the company and uh it's I think that that's going to become more important and trust is just is accumulated in a different way. It's not a golf course. It's not a beer. It's not these things. Not that those things won't happen, but to gain initial trust, I think it's going to be a lot more. if They already are aware of you and then they're going to meet you and then they're going to decide if you are trustworthy individually after that. Yeah. And that's the I think the benefit of kind of this experience on both sides of things
0: is that for sales teams, it's shortens those touch points and shortens that sales cycle. So you get your qualified leads faster and you can kind of self-qualify them in real time so that by the time you're sitting down and having that conversation, all that legwork is already done. And on the customer side, you can cut through the bullshit really, really fast and actually get your problem solved when you need it done. Um, so you're not stuck talking to 17 different people that don't sell what you need and that just yeah. kind of want to try to monopolize your time. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and if it's not if it's not very clear of how you can help that customer, they're probably less likely to reach out to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: it saves everybody some time and some money and some
0: energy. And anyway, like all, all I'm building up into, it's shifting that dynamic aggressively and drastically in a way that I don't think anyone was initially prepared for <laughs> 15 years ago, which is crazy to even think about and start trying to talking through. But even just like the time that i've been involved in this industry watching how the the digitization and the data kind of first movement has has pushed things and pushed organizations to like aggressively try to
1: adapt
0: has been fascinating to watch
1: yeah absolutely And, and i um i think the i think there's still a lot of people that are trying to figure out you know it's easy to look at um older industries like ours uh you know, power generation, infrastructure, that architectural engineering, construction, that really those strong areas and think like, oh, you know, they're so far behind or we're so far behind. And to a certain degree, we are. But when you start to look at the other even more digitally advanced industries, they're still trying to figure out themselves. And I've, we've talked about this on previous episodes. We pay a lot of attention to enterprise B2B software as a service because the deal structure. Is similar. It's similar to what we're used to in architectural engineering construction, um, and you can pay attention to them, and you can see the the mistakes that they've made and how they've had trouble adopting. There's, you know, there's definitely such thing as too much technology. Um, if you've ever bought a product online and it's an online service, and then tried to actually get help and realize, like, oh, it's, they're really good at payment processing, not really good at helping you when I have problems you know, we're never going to get to that point. You don't want to get to that point, but there's mile markers along the way that people have probably missed that we need to pay attention to, to make sure that we digitally advance the right ways in the right ways for the customer. Right. So it makes sense to them and you make their experience better.
0: Yeah. It's that, again, it's that benefit of watching someone else, um, fail for you for like, yes. um, and it's not to say that, that, what has worked for B2B SaaS is going to be a, a one-to-one fit for AEC, but there's a lot of, of learning that's already been done. There's a lot of proving that's already been done. There's a lot of opportunities to take upon ourselves a successful model and then revise it and tweak it and adapt it to, again, going back to the conversation or the, the topic earlier, adapt it to our needs and our pain points to fit the purpose that we're trying to serve.
1: Yeah. And... And i'll be interested to to see what happens with the industry around around some of the some of the other not technology necessarily but some of the metrics you've mentioned numbers like uh nobody talks about customer acquisition costs that's not a i don't think that's a metric that very many companies track because it just kind of works itself out right um but if you start to track customer acquisition costs and you get good at it you can start to see where your more profitable opportunities are coming from pre-execution obviously if you have a bad project than that that negates all the good work you did up front. Um, but you can start to look at how much it costs to acquire a customer when they know nothing about you from online, or you can start to see, hey, when they when they have consumed this content and then they fill out this form wanting to meet with us, how many, what percentage does that deal close versus other deals where you're just meeting customers out in the wild, right? Um, I I haven't, and my, I haven't experienced anyone that's good at that in our space. I'll be interested to see, or if anyone's listening to this and they are going to, please reach out to me because I really want to benchmark against you guys to understand it. <laughs> uh, but assuming that not very many people are, it's going to be interesting to see if the industry starts to get in that direction, and starts to try and get more sophisticated. Because what I see a lot in, um, especially engineering and construction is, a lot of the innovation is focused in the field. And that, rightfully so, that's where the work gets done. Um, but there's other forms of innovation that aren't new tools necessarily in the field that make it more efficient. If you can acquire your customers more efficiently and reduce your customer acquisition cost, that's also a way to be able to increase your margin. And I think that's what the best, the, with a, in my opinion, the coolest thing about this whole thing is, you have the ability to reduce your customer acquisition cost at the same time you're making a situation better for your customers to be able to come and work with you. It's a no-brainer, but if you don't track those metrics, and you have no idea where your customer acquisition cost is, and you have nothing to benchmark it against. You can't run tests, and you're you know you have to believe that that's true in order to take that dive. And I'll be interested to see as the time goes on, if companies do adopt that. And as that starts to get out, if people start to relook at their organizations and what the sales marketing mix looks like, what responsibilities look like. And, you know, we can have a whole nother wave of innovation in construction and engineering that has nothing to do with the stuff in the field. And that's everything to do with what's best for the customer. And that has me super excited. <laughs> now I love like, like the idea
0: that customer acquisition cost is kind of the afterthought is just like a stark contrast to a lot of my background <laughs> just from like if you think about like if you're a small business customer customer acquisition cost is everything but as oh, that yeah. kind of scales up it's not something it's not nearly as pertinent as relevant to the things you're trying to accomplish because you know you're going to make that money back anyway um
1: yeah, and it all but, kind of gets thrown into a big bucket, right? It's like uh, mm-hmm. you you pull out a you pull out a WBS code, and it's like, okay, this project we're bidding on. You have a bunch of people that are on the front end of the estimate that are that are throwing into that bucket, and so it ends up being this big pool that no one calls customer acquisition cost. But that's kind of what it is. But it's there's other thing there's there's other ways that you can start to look in that bucket and see like, okay, where what's really driving this stuff? Not just like strip out the proposal cost. What is that versus what's the actual acquisition cost? Right, right. And
0: so I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that
1: to transition a little bit.
0: Um, as we're talking about the things that are, are innovations that you can make that are, aren't just technology, aren't just kind of process stuff. Um, I think the, the other piece of that that we're starting to explore a little bit more um, is just the way we work. Um, the, the the remote environments or the work-from-home environments or the just the loose definition of teams at this point where you have people wearing seven different hats in seven different environments, working for seven different employers coming together to make something happening. Um, and one of the things that we talk about on the digital marketing side of that conversation is kind of the account-based marketing approach or this idea of you're not just selling to one person anymore. Uh, you're selling to seven decision makers and influencing them all individually um, and trying to turn that preference towards your brand as a collective, which is so much harder than selling that one person. How is that kind of shifting the buying decision process in your experience? Um, And where do you think we're going to go from here?
1: So I, um, in my experience of business development, uh, when I first got into business development, I felt like it had already changed or was changing, where it went from that kind of centralized decision maker to where it was a lot more buying teams, especially in, like, in the public utilities I was dealing with. Um, and so when I was when I was at the time when I was in business development, you could you know you could influence well influence you know, in for they wanted to be influenced you could influence them but you could influence the that. buying team exactly. Uh, you could go meet with the whole buying team in the office, right? So you could you could have touch points, even though you're dealing with different departments, different people, maybe completely different parts of your organization have to work together on this one project. You still have the ability to kind of reach out and touch them, take them to lunch, even if it was on an individual basis. Um, with people working remote and teams disjointed and um, and companies moving more and more to that, uh, that's going to be a lot more difficult to do. Um, And I think I remember from the Bill Cole uh, episode he had talked about, you know, he he said the story, you know, by the time someone's thinking about to use you on a project or they want to use your technology, there's already some kid in the organization has done a bunch of research and brought that to his leadership. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think if you, you know. You wouldn't think that a, a front level engineer is going to solely make this decision. And I think, you know, everyone would agree with that. Right. But I I would challenge everyone to think about a time when some one of their direct reports or maybe it was even one of their direct reports, direct reports brought a piece of information and packaged it in a way that everyone it made sense to everyone and then they got behind that. And It's like, OK, that person let it. They didn't make the decision, but they're bringing the information and they're the advocate. And so, through good content and helping customers and helping people understand the industry and understand your offering better, you create more of an opportunity to create more of those champions. And you don't necessarily know who it's going to be, but if you create good user, cent- user centered con- uh, content, then it should be multiple people that are coming to that table. And so, when they first have that meeting and talk about who do, you know, we don't. We don't really know how to solve this problem right now. We don't know how we're going to do carbon capture. We don't know how we're going to. We don't know how we're not going to do solar. We don't. We don't know how we're going to transition. Um, and they start to think about who they're going to reach out to and why. There will be people in that room, and it won't be any vendor. It's going to be just those internal people. And who are they going to mention and why? Because I would venture to bet that the younger people who have seen this coming have already been tasked with some sort of research. Hey, bring us the people. And so. At least that initial exposure could be from someone that you don't even have a relationship with or don't even know in the organization and so i think that's where it's it's shifted a little bit where you're also placating to them and making sure they're informed and then they can be your advocate even though they're not your decision maker yeah i had that, had almost that exact conversation with one of our clients two weeks ago
0: maybe um we we're sitting down and trying to, to just identify like who's the 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 primary not necessarily decision maker but the primary influencer in that decision making process and like like you were saying it wasn't someone at a at a board table it wasn't an EVP or a sales manager or anything like that it was an estimator uh, it's just the person that just kind of goes out and gets their boot their their boots on the ground gets their hands dirty and sifts through all of the potential options for this service that they provide and says you know what these are the guys and so trying to figure out like okay how do you talk to both of those people at the same time is is a is a it's a piece of work
1: yeah yeah and uh i've used this example a million times and i'll continue to use it when when someone has a problem and they need a new vendor who do they think of and why why Mm -hmm. would they think of you And if you don't have a good answer for that, I think you should start thinking about it. And if your answer for that is because we're going to make sure we call them all the time, I think you maybe want to start to look at the metrics of how much it costs to have a BD person do cold calls all day versus how much it costs to run an ad set on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, that's... I'm doing the math in my head and that doesn't work
1: <laughs> out well. Um, Hopefully you have some good BD people, you know, that are worth their salt so you're paying them well. And do you really want them cold calling people? Do you really want them sending a bunch of cold emails? Or do you want them engaging with customers that already have some level of interest, some level of understanding? Then you can let those BD people really do what they're good at and that's form relationships and help the customers work with your company. Mm-hmm. And I
0: think it's interesting that you you brought up the idea of like when you need a new vendor, who do you call? Um, Because that was one of the things that 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 same conversation brought up was our our client was talking about how the guys that he knows and the people that he's worked with for the past 25, 30 years are all starting to retire. Um, It's these relationships that that he's built over the course of his career aren't quite as reliable as they used to be, not for any of his doing or their doing, but just, just because they're moving into different places and different roles and different stages in their life. Um, and so now part of what we're helping them do is engage that younger generation of decision makers and try to meet them on their terms, meet them in their space uh, and help kind of do that that business development in a way that's, that's shortening the cycle.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a, you hit on a great point about uh, lots of great points, the, the demographical shifts, but also something you hit on about where people move to new positions. And I, I, I've seen this multiple times in my career where BD folks are able to cultivate good relationships and they have good relationships high up in the organization. But at some point in their career they kind of rode that group of people and all of a sudden their contacts are high level executives or they've moved into different into different companies and uh i would i would ask anyone that's listening to this that is is trying to sell engineering construction projects how many times a senior vice president has made that decision it's you know when you get to a certain level in these organizations they have so much on their plate, it's a lot more than just that little piece that the vendor is taking care of, even if it's a big piece, even if it's a large EPC project, so a multi-million dollar EPC project, what else does an SVP and a large utility or a large industrial processing plant or an oil refinery, what else do they have to do? They probably have a hundred other vendors, they have a million other internal things going on. Are they really making that decision? And so when you have these relationships at the top, that's great. But is an SVP Going to come down and tell his VP and his director level that hey you know what I know that I know that you all chose this company A but I actually have close relationships with company B and I'd like you to choose that company instead I have, I personally have not seen that happen. I've I've heard of people talk about how they can get that done, um, but I have not personally experienced that. And I, I question um, people that do have those relationships, even if they do maintain they do maintain them. If that senior level person is really gonna is gonna push down enough on his team to make them make a decision, and so then you're looking at okay, now my contacts are are at that level, and the rest of my contacts are close to retiring. Who is and who's bringing these? uh opportunities to the table who's bringing these problems to the table in the organization and who's the all-star in the organization that's really driving things you have no idea because it's just an internal engineer but really uh this girl's the rock star and she's driving Mm -hmm. all of the things inside the company you just don't realize it because she's she's the senior vice president's right-hand person Mm -hmm. and uh I think there's multiple things that drive that and you hit on both of them, where it's the upward mobility of people that are moving, but also the people that are moving out and the younger demographic that are moving in. Um, I used an example. I used an example a while ago about when um, certain demographics have had Google uh, and you think about what their buying behaviors are like. So someone that's you know in this role and they're 32 years old, they've really only bought this way. They've really only done research this way. When we when you research projects in school, how do you think you did it? you didn't go to the encyclopedia mm-hmm. you didn't call your business development professional you did your research online and with flexible work with remote work that demographic is going to be even more drawn to not to not want to talk to someone until they absolutely have to and I've heard of other th- of other things. I don't know if these are true or not, but younger people are more passive aggressive or more timid because of how much is more social media interaction versus how much is in person. So people are even more reluctant to have tough conversations. And so I have no idea if that's true or not. I'm not I'm not in that field. But if that's true or even remotely true, that's another little thing that's going to drive that younger demographic to inform their decision online before they talk to somebody.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think you brought up an interesting piece there like, when I was I guess like just starting college and I, I don't think this is new at the time but it was new to me but the idea of kind of being the the linchpin inside an organization kind of started getting some traction and so like that idea of embedding yourself so deeply into an operation that it can't function without you um, became something like that that I've used to really define a lot of what I've done in, over the course of the past 20 years, um, and the I think I think ultimately what we're talking about here is like identifying the linchpin in the organization, identifying the linchpins in the the decision making process, and reaching them as the most in the, in the most direct and native way that you can.
1: Well and I, I think the I'll I'll challenge that a little bit. It's that's what BD's always trying to do is find that who's that influencer, who's that linchpin. If you've been through Miller Hyman, whatever it is, they're they're always trying to get to who that linchpin person is. And that To me is inefficient because you don't a lot of times you don't find out until after the bids over you know if you really are tied in that organization you might know or you might have the relationships that'll be able to tell you but sometimes you don't find out until after the bids already in Uh, versus with good content you're you're creating a bunch of those linchpins by making sure that they understand the marketplace from very well with um unbiased information from you which adds trustworthiness to you and you can have 10 linchpins instead of just one because there's multiple people and that makes the decision a lot easier when you sit down at a table and five people mention the same company and they talk about this stuff they've read it's that's i feel like that's a little bit easier project to win than one where they're like who is this company i didn't know they did that (laughs) it all comes together
0: all comes together oh man well we are running up on time here um anything else you want to throw out there before we let people go today? Uh,
1: just once again, thank you to everyone that takes the time to tune in. Uh, if you like uh, if you like our podcast in real life, please take the time to digitally like it. It, it, it means a lot for our engagement to try and get it out to other people. We really want to try and help um, marketers and sales professionals and p and l leaders understand their customers better. And uh, as Nathan said that, that's what we're trying to do here. So uh, as we shift some of the, um, as we shift some of the people that are going to be on, please be a little bit patient with us because we're reaching out to a new set of guests and we have to get that guest list built up. But one way or another, you'll hear from us every week. We're going to continue to post content every week. Um, we're going to try and have a guest every week. But as we transition and trying to get to more of these PL leaders in these large organizations, it's I think it's going to be, it may be a couple of weeks where you're going to hear from us again. But uh, we'll try and be entertaining, uh, try and add value regardless, even if you do hear from us for a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, it's it's all it's all work in progress. everything's under construction over here at the buyer's market. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you again, everybody for taking the time to sit down with us this afternoon. Uh, you can find the buyer's market at spot or on Spotify, Apple music, any any other place that you'd like to get your podcast. Uh, and have a great one. Thank you.